continue in our study on discipleship. If you haven't been with us, we've been looking at a series on discipleship. And we started with some broad truths of what a disciple is, the state of the church in discipleship. We're narrowing it, our focus now at this point with a four-week study on the stages of discipleship. Last week, we covered the first one up there that we are dead in our sin. That's where discipleship begins. Every single person born is dead spiritually to God, meaning we are separated from Him because of our sin. And it doesn't matter what you do as a profession. It doesn't matter what you've inherited from your previous earthly generations. Rich or poor, powerful, weak, famous, not famous, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us is dead to God. And therefore, the Scripture lays out a devastating case for man. And we looked at that. Um, there is absolutely no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Um, he is God's answer and God's provision for us. But through Christ, we saw in Ephesians that God makes us alive with Him. Just as Christ died for our sin, He was raised for our justification, so that Christ's death is our death to sin, His resurrection is our life. It's a union with Him. So once we are born again, then we move into the second stage of discipleship, which is bold there, called infancy. And once again, every single one of us are infants in Christ after we're born again. Regardless of power, money, position, professional accomplishments, Donald Trump could be born again today, and he could be a billionaire and president of the United States, but he'd be an infant in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, every one of us passes through infancy. I love this study because really the illustrations are pretty simple for, for this study. Because they really do follow and mirror natural progression and natural birth. Our little children come into this world as infants and totally dependent. Knowing nothing, being able to do nothing except eat and go to the bathroom and sleep. They are infants, and very much so, that's how we are in Christ. So I, uh, I summarized that already. So we're going to look at the stages of infancy, and uh, there's not just one passage that captures all the truth. So we're, we're essentially going to consider three main passages this morning. We're going to start with this first point in 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you would... And if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me. And let's ask the Lord to bless His Word for us this morning. Father, as we open Your Word, I just pray that Your Spirit would move amongst us, that He would apply these truths to our heart, Father, that You'd cause us um, not only to do self-examination, but to grow. And Father, we want to uh, progress, we want to move past infancy, and press on toward maturity, Lord, that we would be a... a fruit-bearing church, and that we would be a church that is reproducing Christ in others. And so equip us, move us, sanctify us, Father, change us and grow us in every way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the main thing that infants, babies in Christ need, just as our own little babies need, is growth. But there are two things spiritually essential for growth that Peter captures for us. Beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2, let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Peter writes, So put away 
all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you get into the Scripture and as you get familiar with the teachings of the New Testament especially, we can easily see everywhere in the New Testament this process and method for spiritual growth. And it's twofold. And unfortunately, so often, we only teach one of these aspects. We, we teach the second, the longing for the pure milk of the Word. And it's good. We have to have food spiritually. Right? Jesus said it. You cannot live spiritually on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Just as the Word of God we read in Peter last week was instrumental in causing you to be born again, so it's also instrumental and continues to be instrumental in causing you to grow in Christ. But before Peter ever gets there, he says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, slander. There's also the truth that if you want to grow, now you got to realize that as a born-again Christian, you now have two natures. You have the old carnal fleshly man that's sold under sin, as Paul said. It's corrupt and it will continue and always be corrupt. There's no redeeming the flesh. God didn't come to change your flesh. He came to put it to death. And so now as the resurrection takes root in our life and we grow in this new life of Christ, we have to contend with our old nature. There's the new man and then there's the old man. But for the first time in our life, we can put off sin. We couldn't before. Now we can. So the first thing for infants to grow is to understand we must pursue holiness. How does that happen? By first putting off the old man. Paul says it this truth in many passages, and he captures it in many ways. I want to read several. This first idea that the flesh is opposed to each other, this was very difficult for me to, to understand when I came to faith. Many of you have grown up in church with good Bible teaching, and I didn't. I didn't have any scriptural background, so I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening inside of me. But Paul helped me. In Galatians chapter 5, 16 and 17, he highlighted this truth which was instrumental for my understanding. He said, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Well, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He also highlights the same truth in Romans 7 when he's talking about himself. And how he has a desire to want to do what's right, but he finds another law waging war in his members, keeping him captive to the law of sin and death. That moves into Romans 8 and the deliverance that the Spirit of God provides for us from sin. So, the flesh and spirit are opposed to each other. So the essential truth for infants in Christ to understand is this. You have a flesh nature that will always wage war against what God wants you to do. You've got to understand that. Because if you don't, you're already taken captive. And you will do the desires of the flesh. But God has provided us His Spirit and all the power we need to walk in holiness and righteousness. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. 
where Paul highlights this truth in quite a long passage. I don't know that we'll read all of it, but it's really one thought, even though it covers two chapters. Beginning in chapter 4, verse 17, and it goes all the way through chapter 5, verse 21. This is Paul's idea of putting off the old man and putting on the new. Let's begin in in chapter 4, verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The implication there is we used to walk like the Gentiles, but we must no longer. Don't walk any longer as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now keep that in mind. Renewal begins in the mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. And they've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and then to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. He goes on, put away falsehood. Instead, speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so he may have something to give. You see what it looks like to put off the old and put on the new. He basically says the same truth in Colossians chapter 1, if you want to use that as another cross-reference to capture this idea. You put off the old man and you put on the new. What does that look like? Well, quit lying to each other. Start telling the truth. Quit stealing from each other. Rather work and give from what you earn. That's what it looks like. But, there's this truth that we are to make no provision for the flesh. We are to renew our minds, so on and so forth. Go with me to Romans chapter 13. And this is where, for infants, newborn babes in Christ, I want to encourage them. One of the hardest things to do when you first come to faith in Christ is to break from things that you used to. Every single one of us has something in our flesh that tempts us. This is something in in counseling these last several weeks and meeting with various people that I've I've brought up a lot is, is one person's sin may not be a temptation for me in my flesh, but I have others, right? In fact, the Bible uses the imagery of fishing. Every one of us is enticed by something. You, you bait a hook when you go fishing with different lures. And some fish will swim by, not attracted to it at all. Other fish will swim by and be like, ooh, that looks good, and take the bait to their death. That's exactly how our flesh works and how Satan tempts us. Each one is tempted by our own desire. Satan will bait the hook... He's not responsible for us sinning, but he'll bait the hook and he'll keep baiting different hooks until he finds what we bite. And then he'll drag us off. That's how the flesh works. So Paul says in Romans 13, 12-14, 
The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, lest let us all walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's the hardest thing for new infants to do. Because, for instance, alcoholics, alcohol is a temptation for them in their flesh, obviously. And so what do they need to do? Don't make provision for it. you got to cut out going to the bar. I read a story of one man who struggled with pornography and he had been going to this one gas station for years and years and years and years and he became a Christian. But this gas station was where he used to buy his pornography. And so he went in and he asked the owner who, who he knew well, who be, he'd become friends with if he would stop selling the pornography. And this guy retorted, oh, or you become one of those holy roller Bible thumping, da-da-da, you know. The man said, no, it's because I like it too much. He's trying to make no provision for the flesh. At this stage of spiritual growth, this is such an important thing. You've got to cut off those things in your life that you know are sources of temptation for you so that you might start growing in the Lord. If you keep those things in your life that you know are sins, you will never escape that corruption of the flesh. Your growth in Christ will be greatly hampered. This happens to many of us. Make no provision for the flesh. It is true that in Christ we can stop sinning. The Spirit of God overcomes all of it and He never leads us into any of it. And He leads us into perfect truth, perfect righteousness. We are to put off the old man. We are to put on the new but we are also to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And this is why Peter would say, long for the pure spiritual milk. Literally, long for that pure, unadulterated milk of the Word. Because it is the Word of God that is most important for a spiritual infant to feed on. We come to the Lord ignorant. We come to the Lord bankrupt. We come to the Lord starving. And we've got to feed. And what the Lord begins to do as we get in His Word is change our thinking. He changes our mind. The word the Bible uses over and over and over is He renews it. We read it last week in Titus chapter 3 of the Spirit regenerating. That's rebirth. But He also is the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He causes us to be born again, and then He causes us to be renewed. Peter said it. Paul just said it, that we might be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the classic passage. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you know that word transformed is metamorpho. Your mind is metamorphosed, changed in your thinking, in your outlook, in what you considered good before you don't consider good any longer. What you considered acceptable before you don't, you don't consider acceptable any longer. Your thinking and mind is the first thing that needs to be changed because your thinking in your mind will present to your will opportunities of obedience, whether of sin, to unrighteousness, or to obedience to God. So what your mind presents to your will, your will will evaluate and go. Be renewed in your mind. This renewal, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 14 or 4.16, happens day by day. 
Isn't that interesting? It's renewal that needs to take place day by day. Just as Jesus said, for instance, and taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, Father, give us day by day our daily bread. Why? So that day by day we might be renewed in the spirit of our mind. It's Matthew 6, 11. So that's why Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word. What is true for our bodies physically is also parallel parallelly <laughs> true for us spiritually. We need physical food every day. But what we feed our bodies is just as important as feeding our bodies. If, if we feed our bodies junk food, our bodies will reflect it. This is a truth Jill drills home with me daily, and I'm trying to change. But the same is true spiritually. If we put before us in our souls junk to feed on, and we starve ourselves of the milk of the Word, our spirituality will reflect that which we're feeding on. It's unavoidable. We feed our souls with carnality, then we will continue to be carnal people, though maybe born again. So at this stage of infancy, the Scripture as a whole needs to be read. It needs to be meditated upon. It needs to be wrestled with, chewed on, and then re-chewed on. That's what infants need. This is the time in your spiritual life to ask as many questions as you can, to search out answers, to test thoughts, to compare previous thoughts with what the Word says. Find someone that you trust, that you see is walking with the Lord, that is in the Word of God, and ask them questions. Ask them to teach you things. Ask them to help you understand. That's what infancy, the stage of infancy, demands. We especially want to give our attention at this stage to the core truths of the Gospel. Think about the work of the cross. Let your mind dwell upon that. One old pastor said this, He who dwells most upon the cross is most wise. You cannot ever get away from the Gospel. It is everything. Think about the work of the cross, what it accomplished, and what it still accomplishes for you. Think about the resurrection, what it meant then, and what it is still meaning for you now. Think about the future coming and return of the Lord. It's one of the few promises yet fulfilled in Scripture. Think about the giving and ministry of God's Holy Spirit to you. His presence in your life, His conviction, His leading, His illuminating, His power. These are all things the infant must begin to understand. We need to think about what justification is. Justification is God declaring you righteous. It's a fact. Though you may not feel righteous, God has declared you righteous. You need to think about sanctification. Sanctification is God making true for you uh, or in you what is already true for you. If God has declared you righteous, then He will start making you righteous. That's sanctification. You think about glorification, which is that day when God transforms our body to reflect His glorious One. That whole work, justification, sanctification, glorification, that's what salvation is. He has saved us, He is saving us, and He will save us. Let your mind dwell on that. That is what the pure milk of the Word means. That's why Peter says, go there. Many of you know that Jill, several years ago, earned her international lactation consulting license. And uh, 
she studied for it. I was very proud of her because it was a big deal. It was a, quite a bit of work, year and a half, I don't know, maybe two years of classes and 90 credit hours, all these things she had to do. And we would drive in the car and she would just listen to these lectures on, on breastfeeding and the benefits of it, the breast, uh, breast milk and the benefits of breast milk, all these things. And we both would just marvel at how the Lord has created a mother's body with breast milk for the baby. And how at each stage of the baby's growth, the mother's body is able to provide exactly what that baby needs as far as immunities, fats, calories. It adjusts with the baby. When the baby gets sick, the breast milk provides... I mean, it's, it's incredible what a mother's body does for that infant. But it's literally that union of the baby to the breast is what provides everything. That's the picture that Peter's drawing. You must have that union to the Word of God to benefit from all of its benefits for you. It will meet you at every stage of your growth. It will provide every single thing you need. Just as a mother's body does for its infant child, so the Word of God will grow you. It's a beautiful physical illustration that God has provided for us in child-rearing. And it's exactly the same for the Word of God. So that's the first thing. What infants need? They need to grow. How do we do that? We put off sin. We put off the old man. And we start walking in the new. We start changing our habits. We start changing our practice. And we can do that because the Spirit of God abides in us and gives us power to do it. But the second point is this. We've got to understand that infants are not yet spiritual people. They're infants. For that, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Some of you know and, and have studied Paul's letters to, to Corinth. It was his most difficult church. It was the church he had most difficulty bringing to maturity out of sin. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this, I, brothers, and, and by the way, the context of this is important. What he's just gotten done saying in the end of chapter 2 is talking about how the truths of Scripture are understood and revealed to spiritual people. The spiritually minded man is able to comprehend the things of God. And he says, But I, brothers, in chapter 3, verse 1, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Then he goes on to give the particular example of division going on. Some, I've read some commentators who say that, that uh, because Paul uses the term you're still of the flesh, you're still carnal, all these things, that they weren't Christian. That's false. They were Christians. And he says... I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, as infants in Christ. They were in Christ. They were brothers, yet they were still carnal. They were still infants. So what characterizes an infant is that they're still carnal people. They've just lived a life of carnality. They come to faith in Jesus, and guess what? Everything doesn't change overnight. We might wish it did. 
But bad habits linger on for some time. And so, in every one of us, we come to faith, we're born again, there's still going to be characterized in us a lot of ugly things. It doesn't mean they're not Christians. And we as the church must exercise much patience and grace here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But what characterizes them is people of the flesh. Paul gives examples where jealousy, strife, fighting are among you. Are you not people of the flesh? So, there's, I mean, you could give any example of sin, and that characterizes. When, when this is what characterizes you, when this is your habit, when you still just kind of walk in these things, you're, you're still a babe in Christ. Next week, when we look at be, becoming a young, young uh, child, young adult, that's where victory over sin begins to happen. But at this stage, victory over sin is not yet a reality for the infant. So, Paul uh, says that in 1 Corinthians 3. Keep your finger there if you want and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. We're also going to look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Something very similar. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. He writes this. About this, again, if you've read the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews gets into some pretty deep spiritual truths. And many Christians read it and are like, I have no idea what's going on here. Well, this writer, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the writer says, about this, we have much to say and it's hard to explain. Man, I can testify there are some difficult truths in Scripture, but nothing's harder than trying to explain difficult truths to infants in Christ. They just don't have the understanding to be able to get it. It'd be like talking to my seven-year-old daughter about quantum physics and string theory. You're like, what? You know, you just, they're not ready for it. It's not necessarily a knock against the child. It's just that's where they're at. But the writer of Hebrews, we're going to pick up on this in our next point too. He says in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We're going to come back to this passage in Hebrews. It's one of my favorite. But he's highlighting this point of, man, you all ought to be teaching the word of God at this point, but you're still on milk. You live on that is fine. There's a season of every life you've got to just feed on milk. But he says, you're not ready to handle these deeper truths. So this is why I say, and I've said before, someone can be um, 60 years old, come to faith in the Lord, and, and they, can, they can be a wise philosopher. They can teach... Um, you know, philosophy in, in college, and they can run businesses. But if they've just come to faith, they're not going to understand the Scripture. They're going to be babes. Sometimes that's hard for people who have accomplished things to accept. But it's true. They're infants. They're not yet spiritual. But it re- re- reverse is also true. And I think of one of our elders, Bo, in this. Bo's the youngest of all of us. What are you, 25? 20? I, yeah. But this is why someone like Bo 
can be an elder. Because spiritual maturity doesn't depend on your physical age. It depends on the exercising of the things you know to be true. The true is, this was true for Timothy in the Scriptures as well. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul reminds Timothy, hey, don't, look, don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. And he's pointing out, yeah, you're young, Timothy, but you're the man. And you're ready for this. Be an example, he goes on to say, of them. So, spiritual infants can only feed on milk. However, eventually, there's this expectation of growth. We're going to get that next point. They've got to move on to solid food. But at this point, I want, I want to speak to the church on this point. Because a lot of damage can be done to a spiritual infant if we're not careful. At this point, the church needs to resist the tendency to look down on this stage of spiritual growth. If they're an infant, they're an infant. I don't look at my little son over there sleeping and be like, why aren't you awake? He's a little boy. I just don't expect that from him. But there's an attitude that can creep in in the church where you look at spiritual infants with with frustration. There's a time to expect more from them, but there's a time to just, hey, they're going to wrestle with the flesh. They're going to sin a lot. Bear with them. That's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, Timothy, instruct, rebuke, correct with great patience. Right? You don't just belittle your children for being children. They're children. What do you expect? You bear with them. You train them. You teach them. You keep feeding them. And if after that process, when they should be mature and they're not, then you start doing stuff to correct. Becoming spiritually minded is a process of change that takes some time. It can happen rapidly in people, but it can be longer in others. I think of my brother when he came to faith. His senior year in college, I was still a senior in high school, and uh Fully didn't know what, what at all God was doing in my brother's heart while he was away, but he came back for Billy Graham crusade during my baseball season my senior year and was born again. And a few weeks later, he was back for the summer and he locked himself in his room for three months all summer long and read through the entire Bible three times. And when he would come out of his room to eat dinner or eat lunch, it reminded me of Moses coming off the mountain with his face glowing. The brother who went in there when he got back from college was not the same brother that was coming out of his room. He was different. God was grabbing hold of him. I don't know if I say this ashamed or not, but growth in me took more time than it took for my brother. I didn't transform nearly as fast as my brother Ryan did. I'm still transforming. But I say that to make that point. You immerse yourself in the Word of God and He will begin to change you. It takes time. But feed on the milk. When they come to faith, they're still carnal. They still wrestle with the flesh. Understand that, church, and don't ruin their faith by being too harsh. Rather, exercise grace and bear up under it. Now, um, let's move on. Third point. Oh, that's right. I forgot this. I made this little slide. Here's some characteristics of spiritual infants. Ignorance. 
And I don't say that to put people down. They're just ignorant. You know, if you don't know something about something, then you're ignorant. I'm ignorant in very, very many things. We've got pilots sitting in here. I'm completely ignorant as to what they do. I have no idea. In fact, I don't know a whole lot. But ignorance, they don't know much biblical truth. There's confusion. They don't yet understand much biblical truth. And there's dependence. They don't yet know how to walk in biblical truth with the Lord. Those aren't bad things. Those are just true things. That's what characterizes an infant. They don't know, they don't understand, and they don't know how to appropriate it. They don't know how to walk. It's okay. That's why we're called to make disciples. That's where the older, mature Christians come alongside them and help them. Hey, let me teach you. Let me pray with you. Let me teach you how to pray, maybe. Right? The disciples said that of Jesus. Hey, teach us to pray. We thought we knew. I mean, we did these religious rote prayers in the temple. Oh man, we don't know how to pray, Lord, when we listen to you. You know what the, the young infants need in our church? Needs you mature ones to come alongside and just pray with them. Let them hear your prayers. You know, that was the point when I came to faith. I would go to home studies in Albuquerque where it was, it was a bunch of mature, very well-grounded biblical Christians who knew the Word of God. And they were wise enough in hindsight, they left me alone. They knew I was completely ignorant. <laughs> and so they didn't embarrass me and call on me to, to answer questions and stuff. Uh, and I just sat there and I just listened. I'd listen to them pray. I'd listen to how they prayed, what they prayed about. When they'd say a scripture in their prayer, I couldn't, I couldn't quote it, but I would remember words and I'd go find it and look it up. That's what infants need. They need to hear you and, and see you. They need to be taught these things. I was so thankful for my brother when he came alongside me and taught me how to start studying the scripture. Just giving me pointers. Hey, do this, this, and this. That's what spiritual infants need to start coming out of carnality. I think of Israel in the Old Testament as a great example of what a carnal Christian looks like, right? They, here they'd been in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. God delivers them, and they're His children. They pass through the sea, they're His. But then the period of wandering in the wilderness, what do you find Israel doing? Longing for Egypt still, right? The flesh longing for its old ways. They're grumbling, they're fighting, they're accusing Moses and Aaron of things. They're still making false gods to worship. You find everything in Israel in the wilderness period that you would find in a lost person. But they're God's children. They had to learn to walk by faith. Why? Because they never had. That's, that's what infancy is about. So that stage of the Old Testament where God delivered them out of Egypt and the wandering through the wilderness, that's a great picture. Just study that if you want to look at spiritual infants. That's what it is. They were ignorant. They were confused. They were completely dependent. So no one, no matter how accomplished you might be in the flesh, escapes this stage of growth. It's best just to humble ourselves and say, man, i got a lot to learn and grow in. But that brings us to our third point. There is an expectation of growth. And if growth isn't happening in someone who has professed to have come to faith, that should give rise for concern. Okay? We read it in Hebrews 5, where the writer says, by this time you ought to be 
teaching. He clearly expected them to be able to take up that mantle and do it. When he revisited them, he said, man, I've got to lay the basic things down again for you. He did. He didn't give up on them, but he gave them a rebuke. There's an expectation of growth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 there, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's speaking of the flesh. Same is true spiritually, right? You said, as we already read in 1 Corinthians 3, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, and even now you're not ready. He clearly expected them to have come thus far, and they weren't. So, an expectation of growth is not wrong. And I'm going to get to a slide here in a minute. When you don't see growth, it does, as far as I'm concerned, being a leader, it does cause me to start saying, I wonder if they're really in the faith. Because it's at this stage, the wolves, as Jesus talked about, can hide out. Yes, they might be truly Christians, but they might also be deceived. What are some of the habits of these spiritual infants essential for them to grow? Church attendance, right? Writer Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering together as is the habit of some. It's not just the fact that, hey, you need to be in church. We're not legalistic. There's something that happens in believers when we get together in the Lord. You need that fellowship. In fact, spiritual fruit cannot be born apart from relationship. I've said this before, Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, every single one of those, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, every single one of those is relational. So if you want to be a fruit-bearing Christian, you can't be unless you're involved in church. You have to be. You've been gifted spiritually with spiritual gifts. Why? For the serving of the body. So you can't literally be growing if you're not going to church. Why? Because you're not serving. The Christian life is a serving life, not a receiving. It's it's fundamental. So church attendance, it's not a legalistic thing. It's We want you to flourish. Serving others. Getting in the Word. Getting in the Word regularly. I mean, we wouldn't think twice if someone ate every five days, right? To be like, man, you gotta, you got to start eating more than that. You're looking so thin. You don't look healthy. That's how we get spiritually, man. If you can go from Sunday to Sunday without cracking your Bible, you are seriously anemic spiritually. You are starving. Get in the Word. Discerning previously world influences, right? It's interesting that my little children, they may not understand the situation. We're just talking uh, to Drew about this at the lake. Madeline got on the inner tube with the big girls, but she was terrified. And all Madeline could discern was, there's a potential for danger here and I'm scared. She didn't understand. I'm only going about five miles an hour and she's sandwiched in between. She's okay, you know, and her, she's got a life jacket on. She couldn't discern all the things, but she did discern, this is scary and bad, potential for danger. Infants can discern, spiritual infants can discern, I don't quite understand the situation, but something's not good here. I need to be aware. You need to develop a prayer life. You need to avoid worldly influence and temptation. 
If you know that going to X and, and Y is going to cause you to sin, don't go. Sharing their faith is one of the important things. Infants, man, they may not know much biblical truth, but if they're truly in Christ, they at least know the gospel. Encourage them to share it. They learn to take their thoughts captive. That's spiritual warfare, by the way. 2 Corinthians 10.5 Tithing, being discipled, growing in the faith, putting off sin as we looked at, forgiving others. These are all habits of, of spiritual growth that are important. But going back to the previous slide, when we went through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 was a key verse told you to remember. Peter preaches on Pentecost, 3,000 plus people come to faith, and the very first thing they start doing, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and to communion. So that, that's, that's like the very first thing. You know, Jill, when, when she does her uh, IBCLC work with new mothers, they, they lay the baby on the mom, right? The baby's literally just been born. And they lay the baby on the flesh, and what's the baby start trying to do? Crawling up the mother, smelling for and feeling for milk. It's natural. And so I want you to understand when I don't see that hunger for the Word in you, I worry for you spiritually. It's natural when you're born again to crave for God. And when it's not happening, at, at best what you're doing is quenching and grieving the Spirit of God in you. At worst, it means you're not truly a Christian yet. There's an expectation of growth that's clear in Scripture. And we've got to pay attention for this. The role of the church. This is where we also need to be challenged. How does the church help spiritual infants? Well, we do the same as with our own infants. We feed them, we teach them, we train them, we correct. And as I said, with great patience, 2 Timothy 4.2. This is probably the greatest deficiency in churches. We can get in a habit. I love hearing those babies. Here we're talking about infancy. We can get in the habit, church, of, of, of really making the church for us. And, and, and church is just about coming Sunday, getting a good sermon, having great music and all that. And man, we're missing it. Now, I, I try to do the best I can on music. I, I'm holding Lori and the rest of the team back. I try to have good worship. I try to preach well. I read books and I take classes. I'm trying to be better. But you know what it comes down to? If, if your outlook on church is that it's just for you and your benefit, that's why you're unhappy in church. And it doesn't matter what church you go to. Church is meant to be giving of yourself. And you need to be involved in growing other young Christians. If you've been in the faith for any length of time, I hope you've come to a point where you're ready to take someone else on, to help them. But so often what the case is, is when you start looking for people to take, take this job on, they themselves aren't ready for it. And that's the shame of the church. I, I started this series asking you, how many of you have been discipled? I mean, truly, properly discipled. How... Has anyone ever taken you under their wings and shown you the faith? And most of us say, no, it's not been my case. I want our church to be different. I want us to have a, a heart to help spiritual infants. 
Now, if I were to, to do a dramatic example, and uh, like Ezekiel does, Ezekiel paints a picture, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. God depicts the nation of Israel as a, a baby that was just born. It wasn't even washed off. It still got all the blood and afterbirth on it. And it was just taken and thrown out into the field to die. And God says, I came along and I saw you writhing in your blood, crying, and my command to you was live. And I made you my child. I cleaned you off. And then I put beautiful clothes on you. I blessed you. Right? If, if we were to go out in a field and see a baby that had just been cast off and thrown off to the garbage, would that not tear your heart in half? Would you not want to come along that child and say, let me help you? Church, that's what spiritual infants need. And so if we can just come to church and say, ah, that's not for me. Oh, we're missing it. We've got spiritual infants just laying around, writhing, crying to be fed, and no one's coming alongside and helping. So this is the challenge for us. And I, I give that example because that's the biblical example. Infants need it. We care for them. Go to that passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, real quick. Let's start wrapping it up. And this is the language Paul used of, of this church that he loved. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6-8. through 8. He says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. So we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. You see, when you are truly loving the church, it's not about me, it's about, I love you and I'll share my life with you. That's, that's Paul's attitude. He could look at these spiritual infants who had very little depth in the faith. They believed the gospel and they immediately started suffering for it. And Paul, like a nursing mother, said, man, I want to help you. We need that spirit, that heart to infect us to make us affectionately desirous of each other so that we can come along and we all grow up into maturity. We help them. Hebrews 12. Right? When things are out of place in someone's life, you put it back into place so that they can walk. When, when there's a, a hip socket out of joint, put it back. Why? Because you don't want someone walking around with a limp. That's what we do spiritually. We see things in people's lives as mature Christians that are out of place and and then we just dog them instead of help them. <laughs> oh gosh, can you believe they're doing that? Oof. And then we go our way. Man, we need to come alongside, be humble and say, can I help you? I don't know how you do it. I don't, I don't want to come alongside people and, and offend them. But at the same time, hopefully if they're a Christian, they have humility enough to say, yeah, I need some help, don't I? You've got to have some humility. We all need help. So the church needs to use discernment, as I said earlier. It's at this stage that, uh, that you got to be careful. Because infants can be just as worldly and carnal as the lost, sometimes it's hard to discern. But it's clear that Scripture makes the point, there are lost in the church. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they blend in and they sneak in unbeknownst to those leading. Paul would get to the point with the Corinthians, I've... I've said this over and over, 
where he told them in his last letter, in the last chapter, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, hey, you need to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. I mean, he'd written at that point four letters to him. He'd endured for years with them. They're still living in sin. He gets to the point, okay, is Christ really in you? Because you ought to be past this by now. You ought to be not sinning like this anymore. So this is a good place for us to do self-evaluation. What characterizes you? And I'm not, I'm not answering these for you. I just want to put questions out. Are you still characterized by being fleshly and carnal? In other words, use Paul's example. Are you just jealous all the time? Are you just angry or lustful? Or what? I mean, does, is this what characterizes you? Does your life resemble merely a human way of living? In fact, that's how Paul called it. If, you might be a Christian, but if, if you're just still living in the flesh, it's merely human. <laughs> in other words, there's a much higher way to live. Above what we can do as people. Are there any basic habits of a disciple in your life? In other words, do you pray? Do you fellowship? Do you long for fellowship? Do you read the Scriptures? Do you display Christ-like love for Christians, right? That's how Jesus said they'll know you're His disciples. Here's some more questions. Do you struggle with your flesh, but also find a desire and hunger for the things of God? Are you aware of the war raging inside between your flesh and the Spirit? Do you practice the spiritual disciplines, maybe inconsistently, but do you practice them? Do you wish for consistency? Are you in the Word, maybe every other day, every third or fourth day, but man, I want to be in it every day. I I hunger for it. I long for it. I see my need for it. You see the difference, right? Many people I come across say they're Christians and yet nothing about them has ever changed in their life. And I would say, I don't know that you are. If my little son Nick, 10 years from now, is still like that, would you say something's wrong? Yeah, you bet. That's what many people in the faith are. Yeah, I came to faith when I was 12 years old and gosh, there's still nothing different about you. I'd say examine whether you truly are in the faith. However, someone may be in faith and say, man, I I just don't know the word. I'm not very consistent in it, but I want to be. I see my need for it. Okay, let me help you. Let's get some discipline going. Or maybe they're still struggling with the flesh. Man, I struggled with the flesh for a long time. There was areas in my life I made great progress with, and there was other areas, man, I just struggled with. You hear me? Been there. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Doesn't mean, hey, you might need someone to keep you accountable, someone to walk with you, someone to pray with you and help you through temptation. That's discipleship. That's what we need. To wrap it up, 2 Peter is a great letter. I'll just quote the second verse there, 2 Peter 3.18. It's the last words Peter would ever write. And he said this, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't say grow in the knowledge and grace. He said grace and knowledge, and that's important. Because so often how we measure spiritual maturity is based on what we know. And biblically, that's not correct. You may know a ton of theology and Bible, but be immature in the faith. Maturity comes with growth in grace, which is practice, right? Hebrews 5 said that. Who are the spiritually mature people? Who are those people who can take solid food? It's those people who exercise their discernment. 
through practice. They grow. This is a proverbial example of, uh, of those adults who still live in the past accomplishments, right? And they hit a home run one time when they were five years old in Little League, and they are the greatest baseball player ever. And they can never get past it. In their mind, they've just accomplished so much. And they tell you this story with such pride and such heartfelt warmth, and you're just going, eesh. Really? <laughs> it's not how much you know. Have we progressed? Have we grown? Have we matured in the faith who by reason of use have their discerning powers exercised to discern good and evil? Man, church, there are some difficult things facing the church today. And the spiritually infant church is going to have a difficult time enduring. It's not to say they can't. But there are pressing realities that the church has to come to terms with. And if we're not maturing, we're likely to be deceived and taken captive. It's what happens to children. How easy is it to deceive and influence a child? You can make a child believe anything you want. Literally. Why? Because they don't have discernment. We've got to grow up. Part of that is the individual believer who's an infant's got to develop spiritual disciplines in their life to start growing. The other half of it is the church has to do some work and come alongside of them and help them. We would not look at a baby laying outside in the hot sun, writhing from the heat, and leave it alone. I told you I was reading, uh, I read that book on vacation on uh, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima. And it just piqued my, my curiosity. I've, I've been trying to just read both church history and, and, and history in general. And so I started um, reading more on the Pacific, the World War II in the Pacific. And there's that old documentary um, film by HBO, The Pacific. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw that, but it just documents uh, World War II in the Pacific. And there was a touching scene that reminded me of uh, this, where a soldier had become hardened toward the Japanese because he saw the atrocities they were committing, the violence, and, and just the, um, it, it just got to him, and he just wanted to kill every Jap. Kill every Jap. And uh, as they were progressing on some land that they had conquered, he came into a hut that had been shelled, and inside this hut he found a family that had been blown up. But there's a screaming baby there next to the mother, crying, injured. And the film captured it very powerfully. This, this soldier who had just got done saying, I want to kill every Jap, is looking at this helpless baby. And he's pointing the gun. And you, you know that the soldier's debating, do I kill the child or do I help it? Is the hardness of my heart going to prevail? Or am I going to back off and be human and help this poor dying infant? And, and he never could get past it. And another soldier comes in, grabs the baby, and helps and takes it away. And he walks out, and he realizes what happened to him. He was losing his humanity. And I, I, as I watched that, I said, man, that's powerful. That's powerful. I mean, in wartime, I can imagine how hard you would get toward an enemy who's ruthless, who's killing all of your friends, and then finding a baby, what do I do? I get that, but it's a great parallel spiritually. 
We want to see infants grow, but church, when we distance ourselves from spiritual infants, we're like that soldier standing there looking at them, knowing it needs help, but unable to help them. We're just going to watch them cry and writhe in pain. I don't want to be like that. Get over myself and say, I'm going to come alongside you. I want to help you. That's, that's the progress. That's growth there. So next week, we're going to look at how do we move from infancy to maturity, young adulthood. Let's pray. I'll invite the worship team back up. Father God, thank you so much for your love and your endurance, your patience with us, God. You care for us. You bind yourself in union to us. You never leave us nor forsake us. You never give up on us. You take all these broken pieces of our life when we come to faith and you make us new. Father, some of us, when we come to faith, we're, we're a mess. We've got so many sins that clutter our hearts and our minds, and yet you patiently work through it all with us. You cleanse us, you mold us, you love us, you forgive us, you chastise us, but you never leave us nor forsake us. So Father, as we sing this last song, Father, give us a heart to love one another like that. To start praying, God, how can I help younger Christians than myself? Maybe I'm still young in the faith myself, but I can help someone. Father, give us that heart that Paul expressed in 1 Thessalonians. Like a nursing mother, I was so affectionately desire, desirous for your health. I gave not only the gospel to you, I gave my very life to you, that you might be whole. Father, help us to love each other like that, because when we do, boy, that's a powerful church. That's a church that you dwell in because that's how you are. Father, grow us to maturity in that way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.